All right, the storm giant swings out at you. Did a 23 hit? No. Wait, we're only level one and wearing leather armor. How do you have over 23 AC? Yeah, how is that possible? It's because of my god. Uh, I don't recall any gods giving bonus AC. It's Invincibus, the god of invincibility. What? I want to worship Invincibus too. In this episode of Becoming DM, it's the second half of our Build Your Own Setting episode. In this episode, we'll talk about building religion, government, and races into your setting. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And this episode, we have a special guest with us. Uh, Malcolm has almost a quarter century of DMing experience. He is the host of Street Nerds TV. Um, Malcolm, wel welcome to the show. Hey, thanks John, thanks Felicia. Appreciate y'all having me. And uh, it, it, what better show to be on than our 10th episode? We've yes. made it to double digits. So that's pretty exciting for Man. us. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and get into the episode. Just like we said in the last episode and probably the one before that, uh, when you're talking about uh, building out your setting and we're, when you're talking about building out what we're primarily talking about here is religions, uh, government, and races, you need to start small. Mm. Um, yeah. Most typically. times. <laughs> Most times, uh, because you ne you never know where where your players are going to go. Having a having at least an idea of the framework is, is good, but if you get too far into it, um, you may build stuff that they never touch. Yeah, absolutely. There is such thing as biting off more than you could chew. Yeah, yeah, and and you also don't want to like burn yourself out on writing one aspect of your campaign, and then it comes to the aspect that they're going to be all involved, and you're like. I don't feel like doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It can be really overwhelming. All right. So let's get into it. Religion. Mm. All right. Yay. And first question you have to ask yourself, does your world have religion? Mm -hmm. Yep. Is this important, guys? Yes. I, yeah. I mean, I, th I think it certainly can. Um, if we're delving into, if we're going to involve some sort of faith-based construct in your world, then you want to talk, is it religion or is it spirituality? Are we talking... Right. Avatar movie, nature-based spirituality, or are we talking about like actual um, concrete bureaucratic religions? Right, because if uh, to to Felicia's point, if you're going to go with spirituality, you could definitely play things a lot more loose. Mm. Um, it allows you to be more creative, spur of the moment type yeah. things with uh, with responding to what your characters do in the world. Mm -hmm. So it will definitely shape how you, as the DM, choose to run it. Yeah. But if you're going to go with a more strict pantheon and a religion, then you definitely want to sit down and put some thought into that, and then uh, that's going to affect a lot of how your characters interact and really even how you build your world around that. Mm -hmm. And the opposite for that too, if there's no religion at all. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and when I think of religion versus spirituality, just to kind of backtrack on that a little bit, religion is where you've got these kind of um, uh, set up structures, mm -hmm. these, these, these actual rules in place for like a Pope, for right. how we put it to our world, where spirituality is, is more like, Oh yes, I worship the the goddess of mm -hmm. nature, and I I don't have anybody telling me how to worship. I just do it. Right, absolutely. Whereas opposed to, to your pope example, um, there's a whole there's a whole structure within that religion of itself. So, um, is are your characters going to have the ability to rise up and down the ranks of that? You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things you have to ask yourself. With yeah, that. yeah. But before we get too far into the <laughs> into the point of religion versus spirituality. Um, one of the things that you should kind of ask is, it, when you're thinking about adding religion into your game, is what's what's the point? Yeah. What 
um, what does it have to do with your players? Yeah. And and um, kind of one of the first questions to kind of to determine how it interacts with your players are: Did the gods? Do they walk the earth? Are mm-hmm. they involved right. in the lives of these little teeny tiny mortals, or are they are they more absent? Yeah. Um, and, and Malcolm, I think you have some experience um, in building a game where you had a, a, a um, um, ones that are worshipped, but maybe more absent. You want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So in the in the current campaign I'm running, there is a particular god, and while he's uh, you know, he's uh, in their world, he's a real thing. He's extremely uninvolved and almost to the point that um, the people have a day in this world where they actively all worship to keep him asleep. Mm. And so it from there, it creates a really cool thing that you can do where it's a the whole world is 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 involved in this particular uh, celebration almost or a religious practice and your characters can do some really interesting things with that that they choose to do and so it, it makes a lot of fun but going back to the whole thing um, these are the things you think about when thinking about your gods how are they affecting your world even the absent ones through that can affect the world um, but if you have some that are extremely active you know what are what are the things that they're doing and how is this going to shape anything that your characters are having to do with it. And I think that one of the things to take away from here is that if there's not a point to them in your game, yep. you oh, can yeah. do what, what I think you and I have done, Felicia. Yeah. Is just no. they're, yeah, they're there, but we don't really pay much attention yeah. to them. I mean, is that what, what you've pretty, pretty much, much I mean, yeah, I think for mine, there is the assumption that, yeah, they, they more than likely exist, but at this point, they haven't really played a significant role in any of my campaigns. But that's just because up to that point, they haven't had to. You know, it's not necessarily to say that the potential for that doesn't exist later. It's just one that I haven't quite yet incorporated into my campaigns. Um, though I, you know, do have characters that will reference religion or gods, um, and that's allowable in my game. Absolutely. And one of the things to, that you can do is, is you can mention it offhandedly, mm-hmm. not get into the details because maybe you don't have them yet. Yeah. Uh, but they're there so that you can bring them up later if, if you need to build something around that. For sure. Yeah, kind of kind of like how um, in the Conan movies, you know, he references mm-hmm. Krom and other gods, but they never like really play like a forefront role in anything. Exactly. Uh, so it keeps a lot of fun things that you like, kind of like you said, you can expand on later if you want to, because if they had ever chose to make more of those movies, they could have spun that and added more to it or took yeah, away absolutely. or whatever. Yeah. A simple curse using the, the, go, the God's name is yeah. it yeah, brings them in just, just enough. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so when you get into, uh, so you've decided that, that, uh, that you, you want to have these gods, you want to, to <laughs> develop them more. Uh, just like when we talked about building your world out and building out the the map and stuff like that, you do have the option to build or borrow, mm. right? Because there are um, a lot of of games that already have a pantheon of god that are well defined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are some other areas that maybe we can we can borrow from other than just games? <laughs> well, we uh we talked about this earlier. Um, we were talking about different pantheons of gods, and we were saying that you know Norse mythology, Greek yes. mythology, Roman th- mythology are just a wealth of, of resources for that. And tons of stuff. Yeah, and it for me, I just I, I love it just because one, you know, these are fallible gods with you know 
all sorts of flaws and anger management problems, obviously, and tons of drama involved. Absolutely. Uh, and they definitely get involved <coughs> in the lives of their characters, which result in a lot of other consequences, things like demigods or, you know, um, other gods coming to get, you know, exact revenge for X, Y, and Z that was done to some other god. And so um, there's, there's complexity in character. There's like source of powers, and then I think just overall construct that you can source from those types of mythologies. Absolutely, and uh, uh, even if you don't want to go with the more known ones, but you don't have the time to sit and make up your own, you could go with Japanese uh, mythology. Um, uh, the Indian mythology and in their pantheon is like, whoa, Massive. and super detailed. So there's, once again, so many ideas you could borrow for stories and things that you can actually work into your game where you have great sources to take from and kind of borrow. Yeah. Uh, there's a wealth of ideas, African mythology, you name it. There's a lot of really cool stuff out there to where you could take it and introduce some players to something that while you were able to borrow something, it's brand new to them because you've grabbed from a place that most people may not know about. Yeah, uh, another place that we haven't really talked about is is fiction. Yes, because there there are definitely books out there that that the author has taken the effort to build his own pantheon. Yeah, and maybe he did the same thing. He took something and he built off of that to make it different. Mm -hmm. um, but there are pantheons out there that are in fiction, like like Dragonlands and, yeah. and a variety of other um, fantasy novels, but also non fantasy novels. Uh, um, I'm not going to think of anything right now, yeah. but there's a lot out there and you can take those and leverage those in your game as well. Well, uh, uh, you brought up Dragonlance. I actually, uh, there were some really cool ideas they did throughout that whole series of books um, with some of their gods that they used, in particular uh, Tachysis, or I'm sure if I pronounce that wrong, don't beat me up out there. But um, we, we pronounce a lot of things wrong in this show. There's yes, nothing to do. be scared of. Here. All right. Good deal. Um, but uh, that character was basically, uh, they took uh, Tiamat and just expanded on that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And really just, I, I used a few ideas that they did from that, how it's just this extra planar creature, but it has these extremely godlike abilities mm -hmm. and it can influence itself into other realms if people worship it. So um, there were some really cool ideas that they did and there's lots of other great fiction you could borrow from or even just take their pantheon and build your world within that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so for the rest of this discussion about religion, um, I know we've talked about different ways that you can leverage things, but we're gonna really be talking about um, you've made the decision to build, whether it's building right. from scratch or building onto another pantheon, some of the things that, uh, that you probably want to consider. Yeah. And first and most, first most in my mind is just because I, I like to think of the amount of work that I'm putting ahead of myself is how many oh, <laughs> the yes. gods are there yeah. and what are the gods of? Mm -hmm. Um, so when you built your, uh, pantheon for the game that you're running, Malcolm, how yeah. many, how many gods did you end up with there? Uh, I ended up with seven. Okay. Um, <clears throat> for a lot of different reasons, but um, uh, seven was a good solid number and for what I was trying to do. Lucky. Yeah. Good number. That also, it's the, a lot of people consider it the, the number of completion or, or lots of other things, but um, uh, it has heavy connotations in Christianity, uh, seven trumpets, seven seals, all that good stuff. Yep, there you go. But, <clears throat> so I went with that number. And, um, and I made sure that I hit upon each of the major influences um, of, uh, of 
you know, a religious uh, old school pantheon would have. So, you know, you got your war covered, storms, um, mm -hmm. magic, life, death, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, interesting. So when, when, you, when you've uh, defined how many gods there are, what mm. they're gods of, one of the things that, uh, that you need to, to kind of determine is what are the relationship between the gods and what are the relationship between the religions that worship them? Yeah. Um, and I know that you've mentioned some stuff about about the relationships in the the Norse and the and the Greek gods. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, they can be friendly. They can be. They can fight each other all the time. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned something about gender roles too. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if you really want to get into that detail, you know, patriarchy. Um, versus matriarchy, you know, is, is this a type of spirituality or religion that, you know, emphasizes more of the feminine and more of the masculine? And then as a result, how does that type of, you know, faith-based religion affect the dynamics between the worshipers? Yeah. So I think it's something just to consider, um, you know, if, if you have one that's a, a female god and everyone worships it, and so females maybe have the potential to be warriors or they could be healers, maybe in like a patriarchy, uh, or patriarchal type of based religion, maybe they don't have that opportunity to be warriors because maybe those gender roles are more restricted. Yeah, right. it could definitely affect the, the gender roles of the world outside of the religion, exactly. even if people aren't worshiping that God. Mm -hmm. Right, oh, absolutely. And then, you know, once again, all of these things just um, go to giving your character some interesting things to play with, mm -hmm. some interesting things to interact with, um, and it just helps you build a better uh, painting of what of where they're tra you know trespassing yeah. through and what they're dealing with. Um, uh, I have uh, two gods in in this game. One, all of all of his followers are male, and the other one, all of her followers are female. But they do work in conjunction with each other, so they're almost like brother sister. Um, aspects of each other. So yeah. the religions work together, but they're still separate. Mm. Um, so once you kind of have built out uh, your pantheon to some extent, one of the big important questions is if you have characters that gain powers from gods, your, your clerics, your paladins, <coughs> whoever else, um, how, how do they actually get these powers? Yeah. Mm. Um, warlocks, for instance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and you have you had an example of one of your players that that uh, that uh... <laughs> yeah. So I I have a player in one of my campaigns who is a dragonborn warlock, um, who was thrown into a volcano as his rite of passage, and and surviving it, he was able to acquire um, powers from his god of worship, was which was Cthulhu. Um, so you know, in those senses, you know, there's there's a rite of passage, perhaps. Um, you know, if you do have interactions between gods and humans, maybe they were born with it. Yeah. Um, as far as like maybe they're half god, half human, or even those, um, you know, you have those that source wild magic as their characters. Those were born yeah. with it as well, without necessarily being half god or half human. They just they were born with it because it runs in their genetics of their race. So, um, those are a few options to consider if if you are planning on sourcing any type of powers or magic from gods. Well, I have to say that's one of the toughest ways I've heard of a warlock earning yeah. their powers, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and we should we should take a, a small second to say, hi, Cameron. Hi, Cameron. Hey, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I absolutely think if you're gonna if you're gonna go ahead and go about creating this religion for your world, so people will play as characters that follow it, you should have them gain powers from those gods. Sure. It makes it fun and attractive for them to choose one or the other. 
Uh, I know before I ever started thinking of putting anything together, just reading the books and you see what, ooh, if I follow this God, mm -hmm. ooh, I, at fifth level, yeah. I get this ability. <laughs> I mean, I think that just leads for really um, in, in, intriguing things for your, your player characters to work towards yeah. and gain. Absolutely. And um, I know I used to think of really cool ways I could try to use that power when I got my cleric there. So mm -hmm. I really think it's something you should do, but put some thought into it. Absolutely. And, and I think the, 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 current, the current Dungeon Master's Guide gives a really good idea of how to go about building that. They, yeah. they give some great examples. It, it definitely is a great resource. Happy day after Christmas, everyone. We hope you got all sorts of fantastic gifts. Now that the stress of the holidays are behind you, take a moment to decompress with some text-based action and adventure on Darkwind. Maybe you want to pretend that your mythic necromancer character is building that army of undead to protect you from all those awkward holiday conversations. Nothing stops your parents asking what you're going to do with your life, like the skin falling off the zombie of the town guard that you made. Or maybe you want to play a fighter and frenzy your way to the holiday refreshments. Whatever your preference, Darkwind's decades of development is sure to have what you're looking for. Best of all, you can play for free. No downloadable content, loot boxes, or pay to play here. Just go to play.darkwind.org to create your character today. Now back to the show. Um, so I think that kind of rounds out our discussion on religion. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing we want to talk about is government. Oh, yeah. Get out your, your civics books. <laughs> yep. It's time for government class. I'm so happy excited. <laughs> we know you all love big Yeah. <laughs> But just like uh, just like we mentioned in religion, the first real question you need to ask when you're when you're planning out the government for the world that you're in is is does it matter? Exactly. Is it is it gonna affect the players at all if you have or don't have a government in there? Yeah. yeah. And and Felicia, I think you said that you largely don't have government in yours just because of the setting and yeah, where, where it's at. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like it really just boils down to basic geography. Like, are your characters in an area that is even a place occupied by a government. If you're out in the middle of nowhere, like a lot of my campaigns take place in swamps and forests and far out settlements that are Elven out of tombs. reach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elven tombs um, that are far beyond the reach of most any governmental body. So at this point, I haven't um, really required the presence of a governmental body yet. Um, again, like with you know other things, it's not necessarily that I don't have that potential later if they go to like a bigger city then there's definitely going to be a presence there, and that's something I should definitely address. But at this point, yeah, I, I tend to keep mine pretty out in the wilderness. So it's a, a, for my particular campaign, um, it's really, yeah, not necessary. Oh, yeah. I think my first one to four years DMing, I, I couldn't even count a time I had any plot or any major thing about government going on. Um, it's, it's something, if you're going to include it, I do think, well, as we're going to talk about, you really want to give it some real good thought. And if the goal is just to get some people together and, and just have a good time, you probably don't really need it in your first couple of settings yeah. or what you're trying to do. And, and really, like anything else we're talking about in this series, any one of these things you could, you could absolutely leave out. Um, yeah. But if you, take, if you take some time developing this part, it can really add a richness to your, your story, your environment, um, that may not have been there otherwise. Yes. Um, and it also gives you an out uh, if, you, if, <laughs> if you've if you run out of ideas for stories. That it like, does. Oh, 
you know that government I told you about? They're getting overthrown by these people, yep. and now it's a big, big deal. So there, there are benefits to having it, even if you just briefly mention it, like we were talking about with the religion. Yeah, you can mention that. Oh yes, there's a there's a king, and he's out there. Uh, in in my game that I'm running in Pathfinder. There's there there's a couple of little threads that have been exposed to the player that kind of loosely tie into the government. Uh, when they when they first started, the players were aware that there was a war up north uh, with with the country that they're in in a, in a neighboring country. They also found out later that there was a uh, that the king has been missing for a period of time. Okay. All of these things are are out there. They haven't necessarily been addressed yet, but but they're there in case. Um, something goes that direction, or in case the story that I'm currently telling runs out of steam and we need to go a different direction, right. I can very easily build onto that. Yeah. And that's perfect. You're giving yourself lots of different threads, uh, directions to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. great idea. That's yeah. really the best way to. Um, that's a really great way to use government and set up your your seeds. Strategizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chess player. <laughs> <laughs> Several steps ahead. So um, once you've decided whether, whether or not it matters to your campaign, whether you're mm-hmm. going to develop it and how much you're going to develop it, yeah. the, the, the next thing you kind of think about is, is the general structure of the government. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm, I'm going to kind of let you take this one a little okay. bit because you do have um, some, some sort of royalty in your, in your campaign, yeah. but there's a little uh-huh. bit of a mixture of stuff too. Yeah. So, um, and you don't have to go as in-depth as I went. So, I mean, really, I, I'd, I'd honestly even recommend most people, if you're if, especially starting off or if you're a newer DM and you want to start introducing government, uh, pick one lane and then <laughs> build from there. You know, yeah, well, you know, but just so you don't overwhelm yourself. But with royalty, you, some of the things, if you go with that route, you want to think about are, okay, so the royalty that's, that's in your government, are they the actual people that rule? Or are they just figureheads, kind of like uh, the Queen of England? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, I'll say it isn't so. I know. <laughs> oh, no. Um, uh, so that's a big thing you want to ask yourself. Uh, are there elected officials? officials? Um, uh, will that play a role in things that the characters can do? Um, uh, are you going to have a bunch of city states that all band together and make one larger government? Um, there's so many different routes and lanes you could take, um, that you can really craft together some really fun things and, and build off of. But what it does for you though, is it, it lines everything up for you for when you're telling your stories and it's those reference points you could go back to. So, um, uh, princess Griselda is missing. And uh, from the city state of rail. And so, you you know, you, you, because your guys are, are working for such and such Viser over here, he wants y'all to go find her to bring honor to his house. You know, so it just sets up some different things and fun stuff you can play with. And you mentioned a few things there, the royalty, the electorate officials, yeah. city states. Just because you choose one of those does not exclude the others. Absolutely. Because you can have royalty with um, with city officials that are elected. Mm-hmm. So the royalty rules over the entire land, and then you've got elected officials. Or like you said, in your, in your uh, figurehead, then most of them may be elected officials or or self-appointed warlords. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think, um, not necessarily to backtrack to like religion, but I think you know one thing that you can possibly consider in strategizing is two birds, one stone, that your religion is your governmental body. There you go. Um, you know, that Catholicism for the longest time was all about power yes. when it came to, you know, spent like the, the 
whole European area and they were, you know, conquering lands and things like that. The Protestants and the Catholics, it was very much a conflict yes. between the two. And they were very much a, as much of a governmental body as they were a religious one. Absolutely. Um, history, like you said, history points to even even after Rome wasn't necessarily the head of government, they still heavily influenced it. Okay. So you may uh, definitely intertwine the two mm -hmm. uh, to where the religious the religious sect has just as much say or complete say mm -hmm. over how things work. Yeah, that's absolute. Good point. And, absolute. And, and <laughs> you know you can go an episode. Oh. <laughs> You're getting in on it. Uh, um, along the same lines of the structure of government, we get into to things like how you need to, one of the things to consider is how cities and states interact with the overall country government. Yeah. Do they pay tribute? Yes. Are they are they beholden to them for military aid or something like that? Do, mm -hmm. Does each city state hold their own military and could easily walk away if they wanted to? Right. Obviously, with some war involved. Uh, and to that point, does the populace like the government? Mm -hmm. So if a little easier if, if everyone is ruled by one thing to have a populace that doesn't like them, because if they're individually, like I was talking about earlier, they can just take their toys and leave. Right. <laughs> uh, but maybe people love the king and, and anything that would, anyone that speaks out against them is, is, a, is a horrible, horrible thing, um, which Maybe your players don't know when they walk in there. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, or maybe the maybe um, the populace despises the rulers, and if they had more power, would overthrow them. Which Ooh. again could lead to another story for you. Military coup. Absolutely. Uh, I think um, yeah, those are definitely big things you want to think about because uh, as you build your cities, mm -hmm. you want to think of them like each one has their own personality. Almost. Yeah. Just like just like here. Right. You can just in Texas alone, you know, you can go to so many different cities mm -hmm. and they have their own feel. You know, own vibe. Austin is definitely its own vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to Houston. It's oh, yeah. Complete, yeah. Totally different. You know, so think about those types of things and how it all kind of interacts with with each other. Mm -hmm. And it really gives you some even more just cool things to play with. Really great story. Mm -hmm. you could go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we kind of already touched a little bit on, on the military when we talked about city-states, but mm. um, as you define the government, you have to define the military and a little bit about what the relationship between the military and the government is. Right. Most settings, I would say the king or whoever has complete control over the military, but you could have a, a military coup in play as, <laughs> yep. as part of your as part of your environment absolutely rebels or if your if your royalty were just the figureheads is the military really running it mm -hmm. behind the True. scenes or you have a uh, like a dictatorship you know exactly. very military strong effect military headed government yeah yeah and and to that is is there any conflict with involved with them oh yeah absolutely as i mentioned with, with earlier in the episode my game started with a war in the north mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. a lot of the military power was moving that way uh meaning that where the the people were adventuring uh which was further south was a little less protected <laughs> uh so if they're getting into trouble that 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 means that uh, they don't have a, a rescue if they needed it yeah or they don't have somebody coming to stop them as as quickly mm -hmm. if if they were uh doing something that wasn't so on the up and up right um, in the campaign I'm running, uh, due to the military uh, pushing their agenda in the east and trying to expand the government, 
and the way I set it up to where all of the characters are actually scribed to this military, mm -hmm. it gave the whole reason of why they're even together. Yeah. So here's why y'all are together. Here's what y'all are off here to do. And boom, go. Yeah. So it kind of just helped bring it all together yeah. without a lot of extra explanation. Yeah, like a common cause. Exactly. Yeah. I think uh, one thing also to keep in mind, you know, when we're talking about conflict is the type of conflict. Are we talking about like an invading country and two countries at war? Are we talking about a civil war? Um, you know, if you even go back into like American history, the Civil War, like it, it impacted to such an extent that you had each side with their own currencies. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think I mentioned this briefly in a previous mm -hmm. episode where like because of the conflict, you had different currencies in each section of the country. So if you went in one, try to use that currency, it wasn't going to work. So things like that, you know, when you're talking about, say, military, go back to like uniforms. There's going to be some sneaking around. Like, you know, if, if you're like the weird guy in the middle and you don't belong to either side, how do you navigate that? Mm -hmm. Having that intrigue, again, is another layer, mm -hmm. which can be a little bit to manage as a, as a DM, yeah. but it can be really cool if it pays off. Take on that challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, especially um, the way you can kind of play around with um, when your characters run across people in the military. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gives you some really cool, fun things, you know, because, of course, you're always going to have one or two rebel characters that are going to, you know, mouth off to any authority figure they run across. Hello. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it allows you to really have some fun and do some really good role playing. It brings, you know, real good role playing to the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of moving on from the military, we kind of are delving down into the laws of the land. Is there anything outlawed in, in your uh, area that, that that most importantly, the players might get into trouble for, or mm -hmm. the players might see and be like, oh, that's that's terrible. I should do something about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're, we're thinking about the things that are going to involve your characters in the story more. Um, so I know that we've talked a little bit about magic being outlawed. Yes. Um, any other any other thoughts or ideas on on things that could be creative things to outlaw or or laws in place that would affect the characters? Uh, the the one I have I'm gonna save for a little bit later. Oh, but, putting oh. it in his pocket. I know he's pinning it for later. That means it's your turn for later. Waiting in yeah. anticipation. <laughs> um, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind is you know it doesn't always necessarily have to be things that are outlawed. You can have types of races that are outlawed. Mm -hmm. um, type of actions. You know, uh, again, going back to American history, you know, what divided the Civil War? What was that all about? Mm -hmm. um, so again, you know, it could just be like depending on what's going on in the Civil War, that could be the thing that's outlawed. If you have a conflict involved, if it's just we're going into a city-state and there are basic rules, don't do these things. Just kind of think of it ahead of time that it can be actions, it can be people, it can be magic, uh, it could even be carrying in contraband. Mm -hmm. um, all those things could be considered outlawed. And, and one thing that we discussed before we, we started recording was was curfews. Oh, yes, and yeah. curfews. And, and <laughs> that, that's, that is a, a mechanic that I think has a lot of potential mm. because you, you apply a curfew. Yeah. And so they're not supposed to be out and about after a certain time. Yes. But then you make things that have to be done after a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. So they have this they have this whole cat and mouse of avoiding the guards while also attempting to achieve this task yeah. when they're not supposed to be out. Uh, I think that can really 
develop into a, a lot of a lot of fun yeah. down the road. That would make for so much fun. And you can tie that to a lot of different other threads we sure. we spoke of. Um, if you're go- if the kingdom where your characters are at war, there's a reason for the curfew. Mm-hmm. And so you oh, yeah. you create a scenario where they have to go out at night. They immediately look like they may be spies for yeah. the side. Well, and even separate from conflict, you can even use curfew as a positive thing. Maybe there's curfew. Uh, you have a curfew in place because there's some sort of like creatures that come out at night and the current, you know, governmental body in charge is struggling to keep that in check. And so mm-hmm. your group comes along and maybe is seeing if they can eradicate those creatures that only come out at night. So like curfew can, you can maybe even twist it in a way that, you know, that, that curfew works in your favor to gain favor from the government or the military that's in place. Yeah. And once they do get caught breaking these laws, uh-huh. what does criminal justice what do look do? like? Yes. What does it look like? Slap on the hand. Is, All it, right. is it kind of frontier style mm. judge, jury, and executioner where I decide that you're wrong and you're going to the noose? Yeah. Or, or is the it something noose. else? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. These are things you should think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it old school, Old Testament mm-hmm. judgment? You know, oh, you stole. There goes that hand, you know. Hi. Or uh, are we going to have more of a... Uh, you know, are there going to be a jury? Do they get mm-hmm. to g- go to court? You know, what's start thinking about those things and how you're going to work that into into trial. playing with your characters, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, if you if you have a trial system, mm-hmm. you can have campaigns that are built around finding the evidence that you need to to yeah. exonerate somebody. Sure. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to be the players that are on trial. It could be somebody else that has exactly. begged for their help. Yeah. Uh, again. Thinking about how these can can tie into the stories is kind of mm-hmm. kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think we have beat the government horse, and we're, <laughs> we are we are ready to move on. The last thing we're going to talk about uh, in this in this episode is going to be about races, mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit about it before when we talked um, in in um, episode eight about the things to do before you get started, where you have session zero and talk to your players about what races are allowed and not. But this is getting more into the races of the world and what what you might expect to see. Mm. Uh, And first thing to, to really think about is uh is what what is the racial makeup of the setting mm-hmm. how many of each type of race you, might you expect to see do either of you have any sort of things where you've experienced that or or dealt with that at all um i mean for me like i again i'm i still lean quite heavily on on dnd forgotten mm-hmm. realms that whole thing i i just even when i'm creating my own individual campaigns i still reference that book and for me if if the race is in that book and it has that character description then they're welcome to use it um i don't pay too much attention to the very nuanced characters, ones that you have to like Google search for and see if they exist. Um, I I just kind of referenced that book, which is, we were talking about before, like what, eight major races, I think. Yeah, Um, I think currently right now there's eight. Yeah, so the characters are allowed to to use those as their characters. And I also allow the potential within this campaign or ones that I build later that are linked to it to have those type of races appear, whether it's actively or whether it's just background setting, contextual type of NPCs. Um, I allow that that particular potential for my campaigns. Well, as you so nicely pointed out earlier, I've been playing for a quarter century almost. <laughs> um, I've definitely played in some very interesting worlds. Uh, one I shared with y'all, there was a campaign I played. I didn't run this one. I was just a player in it. But um, he focused on um, aerial-type creatures and... Um, you know, humans were playable in a few other races, but there weren't any dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, the, he he 
made his own type of elf and then he allowed Arakra, I might be saying that wrong, but the, basically the bird people um, to be, yeah, Birdman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Attorney at law. <laughs> and actually the way the, the, that campaign was designed, it was you probably wanted to start off playing one of them because you would have some ad, uh, more advantages for the environment of his world. So I've played in a lot of different interesting things. Um, depending on what you're going for as, as a DM, you know, uh, keep that in mind because you can really create some really interesting things. Uh, or you can make it kind of uh, like traditional D&D where it's very uh, kind of a mix and a hodgepodge sure. of things to have some fun. You can even go off just completely not even referencing those. I mean, you could have like where it's very normal to be able to shift, like shape shift into animals. Yeah. Um, or for the race to normally see in the dark, but they're blinded by the light. Yeah. Like the song. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like you're saying, you can really get creative. Didn't the old Oriental adventures have uh, a race that you could choose that could turn into... I'm pretty sure they had one where they could turn into specific different creatures. Animals, maybe. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's been a long time since I've even <laughs> seen that book, let alone, let alone re read it. So. Well, I am a quarter century <laughs> in. <so. Yeah. laughs> Goodness. Um, and and once, you, once you've kind of decided what the racial makeup is, mm -hmm. um, you kind of have to determine what uh, what the interactions are between those races. Yes. So are races outlawed in certain areas? Um, outlawed as, as in we kill on site, we arrest or whatever because of, of wars, because of mm -hmm. maybe past behaviors of these races in, in public, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and are there races that are looked down upon? So what's the general view of the rest of the populace, excluding the, the players necessarily, <laughs> Uh, upon those races, and I think you had a story, Malcolm, about uh, about a, 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 a party of drow elves. Yes. Um, so uh, I don't. I think this was simply because the 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 Drizzt Drizzt stories were very popular at the time. Um, so, like, out of a campaign of uh, six six of my players, I know like four of them wanted to be drow elves. And it, it's quite a lot. <laughs> yes. And it, 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 it was just like, okay, so first off, you all want to play a race of creatures that are pretty much shunned and hated, <laughs> right? Second, they live underground, so they're not used to being above ground yeah. in the daylight. Third, you know, well, that kind of goes to one, but they're generally evil or lawful evil, chaotic evil, something of that nature. Yeah, not the most agreeable. Right, but you have a lawful good drow or <laughs> uh, drow elf so you know it just creates uh, you you want to you want to start putting a cap or when you're creating the characters with your with your players go into this in mind and really speak to the you know think about what you're gonna allow or not because it could really create some head scratching uh, scenarios if you don't yeah and even if you're it. gonna allow what the what the reaction they're gonna get when they interact with NPCs because Sure. sure, you can have a party full of drow, but nobody's going to want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be surprised when you show up to town and yeah. everybody's armed and shooting arrows. No one's going to be right trading away. with you tonight. <laughs> um, and then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is are there, you know, negative or otherwise, but are there races that don't even exist in your world um, or those that are like that beautiful unicorn sighting? It's just such a rare thing that you almost never come across it. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I've had... Uh, 
in fact, the last session I ran with my, my with my Pathfinder group, they went to this town. It was kind of remote mountain town, mm -hmm. and they get there, and there's a halfling in their party, and everyone is just astounded. They have never seen a halfling <laughs> yeah. before. They're like, "Oh, little one, how are you?" And just they want to ask all sorts of ridiculous questions about their height and like, Aww. what do they eat, and and just just bizarrely act towards them. All of it is uh, is not in a in a nefarious sense they're they're all being trying to be generous and kind yeah but just some of the questions they ask her are really bizarre yeah oh i can imagine so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no that yeah like little things like that can just add so much to Pun intended. Uh, no, but that type of stuff can really uh, add to some really fun things you could do. And those, that's a really great example because uh, it doesn't really drive the story one way or another. Yeah. But it's that those are those little touches that your players will talk about weeks, months, years yeah. later. You it's, know, I mean, it's funny. It's enriching. Stories. You know, it makes it more of a, a story that like your characters can become, you know, emotionally invested in or emotionally attached to you have something like this like if you have a character one of your players that's a halfling and this is all the stuff that occurs to her it makes it more like part of her story too absolutely yeah well i think that is all we had to discuss Woo! on this second episode Robust. of build your own setting so uh next time we're going to talk about building your own story i'm mm -hmm. kind of excited about that yes. getting to some of the how to build those hooks and, mm -hmm. and get your players invested there but until then Stay nerdy, friends. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our last show of the year. It's been a lot of fun making this, and part of that is hearing from you. We love to hear your questions and suggestions for the show, so reach out. You can contact us at becomingdm.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. Our special guest this episode was Malcolm Richardson. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about building your own story. See you next year.